Greg, I can only imagine how excited you are. What are you feeling inside right now? Uh, it's similar to Christmas back in 1974, 1975. That would have made you... Five, okay. six years old. Anticipation beyond anticipation. So is this more like Christmas Eve at the moment? Well, because, you know, normally you get up at 4, 35 o'clock in the morning to open the gift. Six o'clock kind of Christmas starts. So the clock's kind of wonky on that. So it is some, yeah, if you want to use the clock, if you want to use the analogy, it's like midnight on Christmas Eve heading into Christmas Day with the Jets and the Wild facing off exactly 12 hours from now. In downtown Winnipeg. At a game that you could have probably gone to. Stop! <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm happy. I'm happy for the individuals who will be going in my stead. I'm thrilled for anybody who's never been to a Winnipeg playoff game. There is something special about it. And boy, do we have a couple of special guests line up to celebrate that this morning. Dave Ellett, who scored the double overtime Game-winning goal 28 years ago yesterday. What, this one? The Jets so far tonight have not clicked on the power play. Oh, for seven. Would you have called a penalty shot? Steen almost had a breakaway. Allen lets it go score! I'm still happy when I hear that. This will just fade down for a little bit. We'll just let that ovation go underneath us. That ovation went for minutes and minutes. Don Whitman, John Garrett, who called the play on CBC, commented that that arena was as loud as any arena they'd ever heard. Well, like this? The Winnipeg Jets on the power play. Thomas Steen kicks it back to Ellen. He moves in and just lets it rip. Stick side low on Bill Ranford. Power play goal for the Winnipeg Jets. Steen, watch Steen. Kicks it back to Ellen. He's on his forehand. Just moves in the middle and lets it go and it beats goaltender Bill Ranford. Well, John Garrett, you and I have both been at games at Chicago Stadium, considered to be the noisiest building in the league. I think tonight this Winnipeg Arena would rival anything we've ever heard in Chicago. The ovation when Ellen put that puck in was deafening, even with our headsets on. And you see the fans are still standing here for the Winnipeg Jets. Very few have left the building. Ellen from Steed at 109. Unfortunately, the Oilers would win three games in a row and take that series four games to three. But that was uh, the highlight of the Winnipeg Jets 1.0 existence in the National Hockey League. And uh, Dave Vallett will join us after nine o'clock and we'll speak with Chris King who's uh, now a senior VP with the National Hockey League. He was the captain of the Winnipeg Jets in their final season, 1995-96. An injury in Game 5 in Detroit kept him out of Game 6, the final game played April 28th, 96 here in Winnipeg. But he has fond memories, uh, great individual, one of my very favorite off-the-ice Winnipeg Jets uh, in any area, in any era. Chris King will join us uh, 7.45 this morning. So, since you will not be at Bell MTS Place tonight, then, how uh, will you be, where will you be consuming? I'll be just hunkering, hunkering down at home with my boys, a little bit of pizza, and uh, we'll all have our uh, white uh, heritage jerseys on and try and mimic as much as we can 
being in the arena downtown tonight. It'll, it's going to be very special. Uh, never before have the Jets gone into a postseason with this much optimism. In fact, I got major flack for posting a picture. EA Sports ran that. the simulation of the uh, NHL playoffs this year, and the Jets ended up winning the, the Stanley Cup wow. on EA Sports on this simulation, of course. So there's the traditional team picture with the Stanley Cup and the team surrounding the cup on the ice at center ice and I've got my friends and family telling me to take it down that I'm a jinx and that I'm hexing things look when you're good just own it just own it you also posted something else in response you said is this better you remember what that was (laughs) the hockey news the hockey news uh two years ago predicted that uh, the Winnipeg Jets would be the 2019 Stanley Cup champions so uh, you know what and it had the tag that said yes we mean the Winnipeg Jets yes we mean the Winnipeg Jets (laughs) and you know what here's the thing here's the thing people are picking this team nobody's ever happy Uh, not nobody lots of people are never happy when Toronto and the media outside of Winnipeg don't pay attention to Winnipeg. And now the spotlight is kind of being cast upon Winnipeg as this favorite to make a run in the playoffs and maybe even win the Stanley Cup. And now people are saying, well, don't talk about us. You're <laughs> jinxing us. You can't have it both ways, guys. In fact, last night on that uh, sports network that's uh, based in Toronto that might have the initials T and S and N in them. Yes. Uh, the first, they did fantasy draft last night with their hosts and five of the first six players that were chosen were Winnipeg Jets in that wow. fantasy dr- draft. So, uh, yeah, lots of people expecting big things. Own it, Winnipeg. It's it's a great place to be. It's a great feeling. And just on a completely, it's a sportsing note, but just a, another, it's a kind of an odd observation that I made uh, switching from the NHL to the NBA. I just want to point this out quickly. The fact that, so tonight, uh, the final Western Conference playoff spot is going to be up for grabs, and it's it must be uh, it must have been kind of a heart attack inducing time to be a, a sports fan in Denver, <laughs> because the Colorado Avalanche yep. came down to the last game of the season where they just so happened to be playing the team they were fighting for that final playoff spot with the St. Louis Blues. Blues had a one point edge on the Avalanche going into that final game. Avalanche won the game, took the final playoff spot. They'll face Nashville in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs or the North American Ice Hockey League Championships. But in the NBA tonight, Denver, the Nuggets, once again, they're in the same position the really? Colorado Avalanche were in. They are one, they're in the, currently in ninth place in the Western Conference. They're tied with Minnesota at 46-35 and 35 as they head into that game, and they play tonight. In Denver or in Minneapolis? That game, oh, hang on one second here, where is it being so played? So it's basically a playoff game like we had last Saturday, a it, play-in game, so to speak. It's in Minnesota. It's in Minnesota. So the Nuggets are on the road, Target Center, downtown Minneapolis. That is really cool. I didn't realize that was shaping up that way until you pointed it out to me yesterday afternoon. Quite cool. At noon today, Donald, which runs southbound through the downtown, will be closed for the Whiteout Street Party. And uh, Jackie and I usually park at the library in the parkade. And so coming from the north end of town, we'll take Princess, which turns into Donald, and kind of go 
right into the underground. Oh. That'll be blocked, right? So if you're coming from the north end of the city, you'll want to reconfigure your route downtown. Plus the fact you've got a six o'clock face off. There will still be people downtown that won't have vacated uh, their parking spots uh, from work time. I'm wondering if some people are going to try and sneak out of work early. It's going to be a different animal today for a bunch of different reasons, including the one hour earlier than normal puck drop at Bell MTS Place. And then with Donald shut down, it's going to create all sorts of other challenges for different people. So depending on where you like to park, you might want to reconsider your your typical routine of getting downtown for a hockey game. Is there access to the library parkade from Smith? Yes. So if you can get Smith northbound, but if you're coming from the north end of the city like we do, that means kind of making a little bit of a dramatic uh, change to your route. But you'll just want to, you know, maybe... Uh, Take Main Street and then go, can you go, I guess it's St. Mary that runs westbound and then you can catch Smith to go north, if I'm not mistaken. Well, where where is Donald blocked off from? Portage Avenue to Graham. So would you be able to, to still come up Donald and hang a left on Portage and then just turn, go up to Gary and come back, loop back around that oh, way? Oh, maybe you could do that. Maybe you could do that. If you're on Portage, I'm just talking if you're coming north or coming south from the north end of the city. So just keep in mind that that, you know, you can't turn right onto Donald anyway. So you'll just have to be uh, keeping uh, keeping some different routes in mind in terms of where you want to get to. And it just will be out of the ordinary today. Algeria's defense ministry, by the way, Jeff had this in his news as well. Just a couple more details before we move on. Uh, 257 people have died when a military plane carrying soldiers and their families crashed soon after takeoff in a farm field in northern Algeria, the ministry said in a statement that 247 passengers and 10 crew members were killed, said most of the victims are soldiers and their relatives, and the victims' bodies have been transported to the Algerian army's central hospital. The pressure is on the prime minister to get his pledge to get the Trans Mountain pipeline built. Justin Trudeau held an urgent meeting with his cabinet ministers in Ottawa. Tuesday, Alberta Premier Rachel Notley has announced she is interested in buying the entire project for billions of dollars. Wow. Global National's chief political correspondent David Aiken has more to get us up to speed on that meeting. We were expecting, or some were certainly expecting, that we were going to hear that the federal government was going to do something. What specifics were they going to take on this pipeline matter? And unfortunately, if there was a decision, nobody was talking about it. Uh, basically, they were saying they're behind the pipeline, but that's nothing new. Here's the prime minister himself when we asked him right outside that cabinet meeting what he was going to do specifically. The question is not uh, whether the pipeline is going to get built. The question is how the pipeline gets built, and we are uh, looking at all options. No, what, what options are and again, that's something we've heard from the Prime Minister all this week and this, for six months. Now, uh, today also in British Columbia, Premier John Horgan, he's the NDP Premier who's blocking the pipeline. Uh, he was standing fast. In fact, he was saying that uh, it's really Kinder Morgan who is throwing a wrench into the Canadian Confederation. The Texas-based company uh, that you refer to is deliberately trying to dial up crisis within our uh, Canadian Federation. I think that's disappointing and I think all British Columbians share my view that we need to find a way forward that meets everyone's interests.
Maybe the big news in Edmonton where the NDP Premier there, Rachel Notley, says you're right, she's ready to buy the pipeline outright. That could be as much as $7.5 billion. So there's Alberta chomping at the bit, B.C. standing its ground, but still no clear word from the Justin Trudeau Liberals about what they'll do, Donna. There is so much at stake here. What are the implications for this, for both business and politically? Oh, they are profound and significant. Let's talk about the politics for one thing, because it, it could be that the federal government will exercise some authority and tell BC what to do. And if they do that, lots of provinces are going to take note. For instance, Saskatchewan and Manitoba, they don't like the carbon tax plan, sort of the mirror issue of John Horgan, and they might, uh, may not want to see a new muscular federal government. And of course, Quebec. Quebec never wants to see the federal government interfere in provincial affairs. So if Justin Trudeau takes some bold actions towards BC, could really upset the, uh, the Federation. Now, from a business standpoint, as we reported last night, there was a great fear among the business community in BC and in the rest of Canada, I should point out, that if this pipeline does not proceed, it sends a terrible message to the international investment community that big multi-billion dollar resource projects simply can't get done in Canada. And of course, that could have a long-term negative economic effect. It's going to be fascinating if the federal and or provincial government get involved in this project in a financial fashion. Rachel Notley talking about this becoming essentially a full-on investment by the Alberta government. I don't know if anybody was anticipating that or saw that coming. I certainly didn't. This is uh, one aspect to this project that I think is a genuine wild card. Uh, into whether or not a, it gets done and if this is what it takes to get done will that rattle confidence for private investment as well even if it does get done will it take provincial and or federal money to do it If you can't sense it, you're not alive. The excitement in Winnipeg today. The city celebrates the first Jets playoff game in three years. There will be a street party downtown. Thousands of people decked out in white to honor the team. You might even be working with some morons uh, working in hockey jerseys this morning. Oh, wait, that's <laughs> me and Jeff Braun. Whoops. <laughs> today, we're having coffee and talking about the Jets making the playoffs. And is uh, are you excited about this? And does it ramp up your civic pride? Uh, Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, along with Jeff Braun, Kelly Moore, Shanley Vidal. And Jerry, are you going to be able to join us today? You're, you've been under the weather the last couple yeah, of days. I, How's I, the voice? It's not too bad. Oh, uh, yeah. It's actually, keep talking. Uh, okay, I hear you. Yeah, I, I like talking. that. He's got the puberty thing going on. I like it a lot, actually. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeff, I know you were scrambling around uh, yesterday to make sure you had the proper TV channels. I had to order the sports package that'll carry the game. So, I thought it'd be $4 because all the little packages are usually 3 or $4. 15 bucks. Yeah. They, wow. They, yeah. They, yeah. They, they know what people are keeping their cable for, and that's live sports. So. Did you cry? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I did hopefully. see I did see some griping about that on Facebook yesterday. See people saying Toronto Maple Leafs playoffs free on the CBC. Yeah. Winnipeg Jets, you gotta pay for Sportsnet. Exactly. That's not right. You gotta you, let, <laughs> you should email Sportsnet. I don't know. It it's we're clearly the cheaper of the two cities, so, I mean, come on. Kelly, you've got a different view on this in terms of revenue and the way Rogers might be looking at it. Well, for sure. I mean, I, I think they're taking a look at the fact that uh, most Torontonians probably do have uh, the full packages anyway, but 
perhaps out here in the oh, West yeah. there might not be as many subscribers, so there's more of a market to attract to the club, not only for this playoff series, but maybe going forward if you get hooked on it. So, that, and, and it's Rogers, just so everybody knows. It is, it's not the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. It is TV who decides which series go where, and it wasn't the CBC snubbing Winnipeg. Rogers owns the broadcast, and then they put them out there where they, they feel they can be best served. Now, Shan Lee, yeah. you said even you... Even you are going to consume some playoff hockey. You're getting caught up in this, aren't I, I am, you? And I actually, I am, I am wearing a mostly white shirt in, <laughs> in honor of the Jets today. Oh, okay. And uh, I believe I do have uh, a Sportsnet at home and included in my cable package. So I've invited my mom over, who's actually a huge Jets fan, to to watch the game. And I'm I'm super excited about the street parties. I'm not I'm not going to be going today, but I'm hoping to go Friday because when I was in Pittsburgh last summer, um, one Saturday, I think it was the the, um, the Pirates were playing, the baseball team. They shut the streets down. They had a big street party. And apparently they do it every time there's a game. Half of the people walking around in Pittsburgh had uh, either a shirt for the Steelers, the Pirates, or the Penguins. There was just such such pride in that city. And I thought, that's what we need in Winnipeg. And here we go. So I'm I'm just super excited. I don't care if Kelly calls me a bandwagon jumper. I'm <laughs> fine with offer, that. But that's fine. <laughs> you're, a jumper, <laughs> you're a jumper when you, when you jump off after, <laughs> after all is said and done yeah. and things don't go the way. Brett, you're getting excited about this too, I noticed. Well, yeah, it's hard not to get swept up in it, regardless of whether or not you are a hockey fan. I mean, it's uh, it's an exciting time for the city of Winnipeg, and for our for the Jets. They've never they they've never been this good, and uh, to see people excited in the sense that they're not just excited to be there. You know, when the, when they made it last time, I think we were just happy to get into the playoffs, and then they got promptly swept, which I think is what many of us expected. At least a first-round defeat, maybe not a sweep. But uh, now they are a Stanley Cup favorite. That's Those are two things that I never thought I would hear in the same sentence. The Winnipeg Jets, Stanley Cup favorite. So you don't have to be a big sports fan to get excited about that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm wearing my Winnipeg Whiteout T-shirt. They came by yesterday. Winnipeg Jets, we missed Mickey Moose. He was here dropping <gasps> stuff off. My <laughs> dream is to meet Mickey Moose. Oh, I have a, a little stuff. That is a very Mickey achievable Moose. dream. Go to, the, go to the street party tonight and you'll, you'll meet him. Go to a Moose game Friday and you'll sure. meet him. That's right. <laughs> hey Jerry, um, there are unique ways to to dress in white. Can you think of one that's 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 very original that might be catching on? Yeah, absolutely. I was actually at one of the uh, big box uh, retailers uh, yesterday and saw a bunch of people. Uh, buying these uh, Tyvek painters suits, these all white painters suits, and I was like, "Well, I, I, I bet I know where they're going tomorrow." Just <laughs> not all of a sudden a bunch of people painting the inside yeah, of their house. I'm, I'm thinking probably not. And when I say a lot of people, I, I saw a good dozen people with about four or five each. Yeah, and and you can buy those I think for about ten, eleven bucks, right? Yeah. So if you're looking for something, you want to be covered in white from head to toe. Those Tyvek one piece painter yeah. jumpsuits are a great way to go. <laughs> Kelly, you've been—I mean, you've been in Winnipeg. You've seen this iteration of uh, the different iterations of Winnipeg hockey teams in the past. Uh, never before. Let, let's be honest. Never before. Brett said it eloquently and perfectly. Never before have we really, genuinely heard Winnipeg Jets and Stanley Cup favorite in the same sentence in a legitimate fashion. No, not uh, even in the days of Jets 1.0. I know later on this morning you're going to have Cowboy Elliott in, in, uh, you know, even that 
in that era, the Edmonton Oilers were the team that everybody was measured by. We thought maybe perhaps the Jets could uh, give the Oilers a good series, which they did. But I don't know that there's ever been the expectation that there will be abject and utter disappointment if the Winnipeg Jets don't make it to at least the second round. I know they're, you know, and again, they have to play the best team in the league in the second round, likely if they do that. But, uh, yeah, the expectation... Uh, has never been higher for a Winnipeg Jets team at the uh, NHL level, and justifiably so. They are one heck of a hockey club. And if they play the way that they are capable of, and the Minnesota Wild play the way they were capable of during the regular season, the Winnipeg Jets will win the first round because they were better in pretty much every category. So how else are you going to celebrate, Chanelie? You mentioned that uh, one of the uh, Park Theater is showing at least one of the games. Yeah. And it seems as though uh, this is just uh, non-traditional places and non-traditional gathering places are getting into this. Yeah, because I'm, yeah. I'm hearing a lot of people complaining, oh, I don't have a subscription of Sportsnet and I don't want to shell out the 15 bucks or however much it costs. But there's a, there's a, there's so many free venues I'm seeing there. There's clubs and and, and other establishments and the Park Theater, which is in my neighborhood, I saw an event pop up and there. I don't know if it's tonight's game or the next game must be tonight's game, yeah. but they're showcasing it for free on the big screen there. And I think that's pretty incredible. That's bringing people together. And I would go to that because that's like that's right up the street from my house and I can hang out with other people, be part of that crowd, be part of that bandwagon. Maybe Mickey Moose will be there. <laughs> but you know, what Channel Lee just talked about is, I think, is the best thing of all about this. Because you're going to have your dyed-in-the-wool fans that, that will come. But it's the new people that get attracted to the game, I think, uh, that, uh, that really makes it that much more special. And guys, as you well know, watching, you know, in other cities, whether it was Toronto, Edmonton, or Calgary when they made their run, the longer this goes the more it gets ramped up and the more bandwagon <laughs> beauties hop aboard. And so, a lot of people will stay on the bandwagon, too. They'll, oh, they're sure. they not yeah. exposed to hockey before. This. Turns out they'll like it. I remember a couple of years ago when the Blue Jays were doing their little run, my yes. parents, who never watched baseball in their lives, started watching the Blue Jays, and now they still do. Did they have to buy Sportsnet? Uh, they may have, yeah. Kelly, do you... Do you have a problem with bandwagon beauties? No, 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 not at all. No, <laughs> I we joke around in kibitz all the time. No, I think it's wonderful that uh, because let's face it, we have busy lives. It takes a lot of time, even if you don't pay to go to the games. It takes a lot of time uh, to invest in being a hockey fan over the course of a long season. So I get that. People have other things going on in their lives. No, I I think it's fun when people uh, uh, do get excited about something for the first time or or it's only in the playoffs that they really start to uh, gather uh, an emotional investment. So it's going to be a ton of fun as this thing progresses. Before we tell you more about tonight's street party for the Winnipeg Jets, I just want to revisit something we did yesterday because behind the glass, Jerry got his mitts on it and he had some fun with it. It's just a moment from yesterday morning where I was expressing, because right now we have a beautiful, uh, mostly clear sky, nice sunrise, but yesterday was gloomy and we even saw some snowflakes falling just after the 8 o'clock news and this is how it went down. Looking out the window right now. Don't say, so Don't say it. I am going to say it. Don't say it, Brett. <laughs> that reminds me of a scene. <laughs> Sorry, this is so dumb, but that reminds me of a scene in a film called Bloodsport. 
Jean-Claude Van Damme sing to Chong Lee, say it, say it, Marty. Say it. That's kind of what I feel like doing right now. I feel like saying mate, a.k.a. I quit, I give up, because I see snow falling. I, I give up. I'm tired of it. Thank you very much, Jerry. <laughs> I got to watch that movie again. So, yeah, I'm happy to see a much nicer sky this morning. Oh, I love and it. Greg pointed out the long-term forecast is very good as well. So it won't be too long now before I'm golfing again. Yes, and uh, the snow is almost com- entirely gone off my front lawn. There's just a couple of little snow piles left. We might get a little bit of snow overnight, but of course that is apropos as the whiteout returns to Winnipeg and downtown Winnipeg en masse, and it'll be more than just 15,000 inside. You know individuals will be wearing white everywhere they go. And there is a street party tonight. Just a quick refresher on a street party that happened a few years back. So that's from, were you there? Of course I was there. That was the night that uh, Stephen Brunt broke the story that the Jets were moving back to Winnipeg. That, well, that the Atlanta Thrashers were moving to Winnipeg. And it was so great because there's an actual point in time where you can see Gary Bettman at the Bruins Canucks game, and, and I guess it would have been in uh, May 2011, probably around the 20, 20th, 21st, thereabouts, where you see Gary Bettman and he realizes this story is gone, has gone <laughs> viral. Yeah. And uh, he's not happy about it. And, well, there was no containing uh, the excitement of Winnipeg hockey fans at that point, just as it'll be tonight. You have plenty of options for watching the game tonight. If you don't have a ticket, Global News reporter Christian O'Mell has more on how the city is preparing for the Jets Street Party. So you want to watch Game 1 between the Jets and Wild. You want to be part of the whiteout. So log on to Ticketmaster and... All gone. What about StubHub? Oh, jeez. I work in radio. Can't afford that. But say you still want to get super close to the action, like scrape the walls of the arena, but not inside close. Well, there's the Whiteout Street party on Donald Street. The city is shutting down Donald at noon so crews can set up for the party, and the closure will last until 1 a.m. Thursday so crews can tear it down. It'll be lather, rinse, repeat on Friday for game two. Buses on Graham will also be diverted from 6 till 11 p.m. because of the increased pedestrian traffic. Conditions won't be amazing. It's expected to be around zero degrees for game time. Welcome to Winnipeg. But the whole thing is a little new for the city. So Constable Tammy Scrabeck admitted they're not exactly sure how many people will show up. You know what? We have no idea. We're really going to have to play it by ear. We're hoping that Wednesday we have a decent turnout of people. Naturally, we would expect on Friday to see a somewhat larger crowd. But, you know, in terms of numbers, uh, we're just hoping people do come out and enjoy the festivities regardless of the weather. Kevin Donnelly with True North has a pretty optimistic outlook. We're looking into the crystal ball and, and you know, we're hoping for, I'd like to see five to 10,000 people over the course of the, this game on Friday. But we'll see what happens. The weather is a big factor in it and it, it'll, it'll force people to make the decisions that they're going to make. And if they want to go inside and celebrate 
celebrate with friends elsewhere, that's totally fine. If you do decide to come down, Donnelly says things will start around 4.30, 5 o'clock with food trucks, entertainment, beer, and hot chocolate with two screens to watch the game on, so bring a lawn chair. Donnelly understands that the 6 p.m. start time for game one isn't super convenient. Certainly the 6 p.m. start time is earlier than we might have uh, had we planned it ourselves. We're, you know, we're subject to the broadcaster's decisions on that, so uh, we'll be ready for it. The screens will be on and the, uh, the hot dogs and the beer and the hot chocolate will be available. So we're just telling people to come down when they can. Again, be mindful of the traffic and the parking co uh, concerns in the area. Bring your own lawn chair and, and we're hoping that we'll fill the space up and then we'll, you know, if we need more space, we'll plan for that for Friday. A criticism I heard when this idea was announced was that it's just too cramped in a spot with not a lot of parking, but Donnelly isn't really too worried. There's still lots of parking in the downtown area. You know, Winnipeg Square's got ample spots that never fill up. I mean, the lots in the immediate proximity will obviously fill up. They do for every jet game anyway. But, uh, you know, just plan accordingly, and you might have to walk a couple blocks, but uh, I don't think it'll be it'll be an onerous issue. True North will have some security on site as well as police who don't have any numbers on how much this will cost for them to police and how many officers will be needed. Admission, though, is free, plus whatever you have to pay for parking and the food you buy if you want beer. It's still cheaper than the Let's Take a Look Online here. $224 American you'll pay for one seat in Section 329 right now. Eh, maybe I'll just stay outside. Christian O'Mell, Global News. <laughs> Christian has a, an outstanding preview and, and just one of those uh, senses of humor that lends itself perfectly for these kind of reports. Thank you for that, Christian. And uh, Kevin Donnelly mentioning the idea of maybe 10,000 people over, the, over Wednesday and Friday. That would be outstanding. That would represent Winnipeg really well. And just like Shanalee said, an opportunity to watch the game with others. And uh, there's something very special about that with without being in the rink. I think that's a good way to go. Two of the people lost in the humbled Broncos crash were 29-year-old Tyler Bieber, play-by-play -play announcer at Bolt FM, and 18-year-old Brody Hins, statistician and board operator at Bolt. Early this morning on the shift with Drex, we heard from former Broncos play-by-play -play announcer Clark Stork, who was good friends with Tyler Bieber. The basis with me was I called the Bronc. I worked at the radio station Bolt FM. Um, when we first launched the radio station, I moved to Humboldt from Yorkton with the actual goal of um, calling the Humboldt Broncos. I wanted to be the play-by-play -play announcer for any team. Mm. They were the ones that gave me the first shot. I did it for five years. And Tyler Bieber was a kid that never went to radio school or anything, but just got a job, and he was awesome at it. He was a great writer. He was a great radio guy. He was a natural. He was a natural. You're right, a natural. Me and him became very close friends. Um, he still is a key to my house because if I wasn't there, he would look after my dogs for me. But, uh, yeah, so I worked there for five years. And in the summer, I mean, I don't I don't want to make this about myself. I don't care anymore. Um, I want to hear your story, I was, though. I was told in August that I wasn't doing the games anymore. My boss called me into his office and told me that I was no longer doing the games. And I was crushed. I was devastated. That's what I worked for my entire career. And he didn't give me a reason. He just said, we're making a change. So I never worked for them again. I eventually left and went on holidays and never returned. And they, he made Tyler do the games. Tyler didn't want him. Tyler didn't want the job. 
Tyler loved coaching football. He was loved coaching basketball. He told, essentially, it's time my boss, his boss, I'm not taking this from Clark. I'm, what are you talking about? I don't want this. Um, they had 10 different guys call games this year for the team. Um, many very poorly. Um, Tyler just, if they were going, if they were going to be in a battle for the Tuesday, Tyler didn't go because he stayed to coach the high school girls basketball team. Mm. That's what he loved. That's Clark Stork, former Humboldt Bronco play-by-play man. He spoke with Drex this morning about the young Bolt FM statistician Brody Hins, who also died in the crash. Brody sat two rows behind the Broncos bench at home games with his iPad that Chris Beaudry, our assistant coach, set up for him, and that had all the stats. Shots, um, plus minus, time on ice. Um, Because he just loved the team so much that he wanted to do that? He loved the team, yeah. And he, Brody, had actually he'd done it for a lot of teams across the, the country. Have actually reached out to him, like teams in uh, the Ontario Hockey League, like the, you know the Mississauga Saints, or I think that's her name, you know, like the London Knights, guys like that. They've actually reached out to to Broads, and he um, would just watch the games online and keep stats for them, and then just communicate via email. Just because he loved the game. And he loved, well, I mean, he obviously loved the town. He loved the team. That's Clark Stork, former Humboldt Broncos play-by-play man, speaking with the shift with Drex this morning. Uh, Broncos, by the way, were in the midst of a third-round playoff series in the SJHL with the Nippon Hawks. Hawks led that series three games to one. Stork says eventually, even though people aren't going to be happy about it, they are going to have to finish that series. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you until 10 o'clock behind the glass. Jerry, spinning the tunes, keeping you going on this Wednesday morning. Tough not to be in a, in a good mood on this Wednesday morning if you're a hockey fan in any way, shape, or form. And this morning, Brett, I think we're going to do a little bit of a celebration of one of our favorite places. You and I were down there last summer, Salome Mission. We know uh, a little bit about what they do, certainly not firsthand like our guest does this morning. Yes, indeed. It was about seven or eight years ago that our next guest started on the path of getting his life back together. That's when Ron came to Siloam Mission. He had become homeless and was battling addiction. While he was at Siloam, Ron made use of the services offered to him there and was able to transition out of homelessness. Ron joins us now in studio along with Luke Thiessen, who is communication manager for Silo Mission. Luke and Ron, thank you very much for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Ron, we want to hear your fantastic voice because you've got a great voice. Uh, Luke, uh, you as well. Uh, This story is uh, one that uh, I'm genuinely considering a celebration. Ron, would you you consider it that, this path that that you were on and this, this path you're traveling now? I would definitely think, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a miracle. Uh, you know, I was uh, 50 years old, and I thought my life was over, that there was no hope for me. And, um, you know, I started coming to uh, Silo Mission, using the services there, the shelter, um, whatnot, and my life changed. Now, what was the, when you first got to Silo, why did you decide to go there? Well, it was... Um, it was probably one of the only places to go here in the city, and it was a safe place for me. And the people there were definitely inviting, and uh, I think they understood. And that goes for the staff and the volunteers. 
Siloam has done such an incredible job of not only doing the work they do, Luke, but also in letting the public know about what they do. Why, why is it so important that everyone in the community understand what Siloam mission is? And maybe in answering that question, you could tell us a little bit about what Siloam does and, and how it aims to do it. Yeah, I think, um, you know, most people in Winnipeg have seen uh, homelessness in our city and know that that's, um, you know, that's something that's present here uh, and a real issue. Uh, But most people don't understand it. And so that's, I mean, that's part of what we do is we're serving those experiencing poverty and homelessness. Um, But it is so much more than just uh, a meal and a warm bed. I mean, we are um, working with people to find housing. We're working with them to address health concerns, mental health um, there's, uh, you know, finding transitional housing. We operate a facility in Wolseley for that. And um, there is homelessness is a complex issue. And um, there's there's so much that we can do. And education is a big part of that so that people uh, know how to help. Ron, how long were you at Siloam using their services? Off and on, probably for a period of uh, three to four years. And one of the things that they do, uh, we just heard there's a focus on housing. There's also, I think, uh, they can set, help set you up with training and all sorts of stuff there. Uh, so did they help you make that transition into being able to get back into the workforce? Basically, what they were able to do was uh, direct me to some uh, some mental health help. And uh, from there, my, my life changed. And, uh, you know, they've allowed me to come back and volunteer. And that's, uh, that's a big thing for me today. Why is it so important you give back like that, Ron? You know, somebody took the time to, to change my life, and it's 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 hard to explain. But, you, you know, you feel this from the heart, and I thought my life was over. And, uh, you know, change does happen, and I've, you know, it's happened in my life. And, you know, it's been eight years plus. I see it happening in other people's lives as well. Now, Luke, the, uh, one of the reasons why we have you in is next week on 680 CJOB, we have a Radiothon. Uh, on Friday, April 21st. So do you have any, or April 20th, pardon me, do you have any details on that that you'd like to share? Yeah, we'll be down at uh, Kildonan Place um, doing the Radiothon during the day. And uh, we really encourage people to um, tune in, listen, uh, hear some of the stories of what's going on at Salem Mission and, um, you know, open your hearts to to giving and um, being a part of the stories that happen there. Ron, uh, just from personal experience here, and, I, you know, the past is the past, but my personal experience, I went through something that was very life-changing in my early 30s, and I can tell you this for sure, that if not for the care, compassion, the love of certain people in my life, I may have been without a home, without a place to sleep at night. I didn't have a job. I didn't wasn't earning an income through something that happened that was no fault of my own. So just talk about how those services and how just someone maybe believe in you a little bit, putting their arm around you and saying, hey, um, there's something better for you. We're going to help you get there. And that is that is so true at Siloam. And, uh, you know, uh, the staff there, um, you know, they smile, they talk to you. Um, it's, uh, you know, they actually, actually care. Uh, they're there because they want to be there. And, uh, you know, I've met some uh, volunteers who, uh, you know, took an interest in my situation personally. And, uh, you know, they showed me that, uh, you know, I could have a better life. And, uh, you know, they stood by me and, uh, you know, just showed me me by example that, uh, you know, if I did certain things that my life would change and it has. 
Do you ever do you ever feel the pull uh, from your previous years from addiction? Is there or are you ever tempted by that in uh, in the present day? Well, I have a program of recovery in my life now, so that uh, you know I'm I'm very vigilant against that. But uh, no, that's that's definitely not there. And uh, you know, I I do go back and volunteer when I when I can, and it's very humbling to uh, you know to to go there and serve a meal, and have the have the guests and the clients come come by and say thank you. You know, uh, something that I think is so critical is that when someone that's either battling addiction or mental illness of some sort or homelessness, some combination of the three, when they have that epiphany, maybe that they decide that this is the hour I'm strong enough to talk to somebody about this. It's important that there's a door open. There's a phone line open, someone, an ear for, to, to hear them. What, what, what was your epiphany? What can you, can you, can you go back to maybe a day where it was, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this. And I and I just I'm I'm determined to turn this around. Or was it a process? Well, I think it was a was a process. But there were you know a couple instances. There was uh, you know one night that I wasn't able to uh, to get into the shelter, and I ended up sleeping outside. It was actually quite uh, quite cold. And uh, you know the next night I was able to get in and and get into bed. And and you know I just said thank you God. I finally appreciated you know what uh, what Siloam had you know has there to offer. Just having that bed. Uh, something I just, you know, took for granted. And, um, you know, secondly, I've just seen, you know, sitting in the in the dining room and, and whatnot and seeing the staff interact with other people, um, you know, it just, uh, just encouraged me that, uh, you know, there is hope. You're a beacon, man. It's a real mm-hmm. honor to meet you, Ron. Thank you for this. Thank you for inviting me. So Friday, April 27th, not the 20th, pardon me, it's the 27th, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. at Kildonan Place, the Siloam Mission Radiothon right here on 680 CJOB. If you want to stop by and visit at Kildonan Place, it'll be in the East Concourse outside of Winners and HomeSense. So again, Ron, a former client of Siloam Mission, now volunteer there. Thank you very much for coming in to tell your story. And Luke Thiessen, a Communication Manager for Siloam Mission. Thank you very much for coming in today, gentlemen. We appreciate the visit. Thanks. Thousands of Winnipegers will be getting ready for the whiteout today as the Jets take on the Minnesota Wild in Game 1 of the 2018 National Hockey League playoffs. Some of us are old enough to remember the phrase, last fight, wear white during the Jets' 1.0 final season back in 1996. That, of course, before that heartbreaking move to Arizona. Chris King was captain of the Winnipeg Jets back then. Now he is the senior VP of hockey operations for the National Hockey League, and he joins us live now on 680 CJOB. And I know you're a big, high-ranking official within the National Hockey League, but Chris, you will always be kinger to Winnipeg Jets fans uh, of that era. So welcome to the program, Kinger. Good morning, gentlemen. Minus four and snow on the way. Sounds like playoff weather. It's hey. a, it's about perfect, right? It does sound great. It was great to see you back in the city for the uh, Heritage Classic and all the, the celebrations. And, you know, Chris, when you and Ty Domi came here in uh, 1992 in that trade for another uh, Winnipeg Jet fan favorite at that time, Eddie Olchuk, uh, tell us about your reaction of, of getting the notification that, that you and Ty were, were heading to Winnipeg. 
Well, it's a it's a it's a used line that uh, that I I tend to use a lot. Ty doesn't like it because generally when I use it, I get a text right back saying it was the other way around. But I remember that morning. There was word around New York with the Rangers that they were going to make some changes, and, and uh, Ty and I had sat out against Boston, believe it or not, in an afternoon game on, in MSG, which generally never happened in the four years we were there together. Uh, the next day we came to the rink, uh, Roger Nielsen pulled me into his office and said, listen, I've got bad news and really bad news for you. And I said, well, what's the bad news? He said, you're going to Winnipeg. And I said, oh, my goodness, what could be worse than that? What's the really bad news? He said, Ty's going with you. <laughs> so, uh, but that bad news quickly turned into great news for me personally and my family. It didn't take very long once we arrived in uh, in Winnipeg to uh, realize that uh, I had really found a home and, and uh, my my career took off from there. And our team became what really was a team. And, and we had... Uh, we had some great times in Winnipeg, both on the ice and off the ice, and, and it's a place that's very dear to both me and, and my family still. And you had an incredible impact right off the top. I think in the first 15 games as a Jet, you, you guys only lost once. Yeah, Ty and I pretty much talk about that a lot and say it was all us, really. But uh, <laughs> you know what? There was a really good group of players in that room, and of course, you know, you don't have to look any farther than Timo and Ty. I'm sorry, not I hate putting Ty in that category. Timo and uh, and Keith and, and Zamnoff, arguably the three best young players in the game playing on the same line, they just needed a little more room, and I think that's what Mike Smith was thinking when he made that deal. And, and uh, we came in at a good time where they were starting to starting to gel and with you know dean kennedy dave mance and some of the other guys that were there uh we just added to a a team that uh, got close awful quick and those guys just took off from there and watching timo play the way he did every night it was pretty special and uh, you're right we we went on a run and and got ourselves from uh down into a playoff spot and and uh battled uh you know we ended up playing detroit in that first round which was tough i think they 50-some points more than us, but we gave them everything uh, they could handle. And uh, it was uh, it was a memorable playoffs for me, for sure. Chris, it's uh, Brett McGarry. Last year, you know. Chris, it's Brett McGarry here. I'm just wondering, what is it like going into a playoff series for the Winnipeg Jets, knowing that that season, or that playoff series, or that playoffs was going to be the end of the line for the Winnipeg Jets? Not that series, but after the playoffs were done, that was it. Well, that whole year was tough, and, and, and you know, you, you'll go into different markets in and around the league, and, and they didn't ask how, how your team was doing and, you know, how, how, uh, how, how you're going to win this game or what you needed to do to win that night. It was, what's it like playing on a team that knows leaving? You know, they, I hated the term lame duck team, but that was the questions we got everywhere we went, and it was really important for us as a group to keep that outside of our room we we knew we were going uh, our fans knew we were going and and uh, and it was tough and we went through it together but we decided early in that season that last season that we were going to do everything we could to make it memorable for us as players and also for our fans and and again we uh, we, we we had a pretty good year you know heavy bullen was incredible that year and and even though we we uh, had 78 points and and then, like I said, ended up playing Detroit. We we battled hard for everything that uh, that, that we got. Gee, we I, we had such a revolving door in that locker room. I think we had over forty different guys play for our team that year. But didn't matter who was in the lineup, we played hard, and we knew that that playoff series was going 
hopefully not be our last, but we knew realistically we were playing a really good Detroit team and that we would have to uh, really do some wonderful things to upset them. But we gave them everything, everything we could. And, and uh, you know, ending up losing four to two in that series was, was tough, but it was, it, it was memorable for us. It was memorable for our fans. And you had a unique perspective. You were uh, unfortunately out of the lineup in that last game. Keith Kachuk skated on the ice with the C on his jersey. He'd been injured the previous game. So uh, we know we got to let you go here, Chris, but we want to thank you very much for your time. And uh, thanks for your, your time here in Winnipeg and uh, being such a memorable part of the Winnipeg Jets 1.0 history. We, uh, we really appreciate uh, you joining us this morning. Well, it, it's good to get on, especially in such a big day. And I'll be uh, quietly cheering for uh, for both teams tonight. Let's put it that way, as as an NHL executive. How's that? <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll leave you at that. <laughs> we'll take you for your word. <laughs> Enjoy your playoffs. Okay, Chris King, captain of the Winnipeg Jets in 1995-1996, before that heartbreaking move to Arizona. He's now the senior VP of hockey operations for the NHL. That's one former Winnipeg Jet. We've got another one coming up. In about an hour and eight minutes from now. A man that Greg often says scored, how do you put it, the most... Important goal? The most memorable, if not most important goal in Winnipeg Jets 1.0 history. T-minus now 10 hours. Just under 10 hours. Yes. So the Winnipeg Jets host the Minnesota Wild in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Very exciting times. After the 9 o'clock news, we're going to speak to former Winnipeg Jet Dave Elliott. He's, Dave Elliott, pardon me. Sorry, can't read. Uh, that Blasphemy. That's sacrilege. That's okay. Maybe you're conflating, uh, conflating Joe Elliott from Def Leppard with Dave Elliott of the Winnipeg Jets. And now you got Dave Elliott. Do we want to get robbed? We'll get him to sing some Def Leppard, maybe. Well, I appreciate you making that stretch for me, but no, I just <laughs> just slip, slip of the tongue. Hey, man, I got your back. I, you it, have my back, I got your back. Well, That's I, how works around here <laughs> and i know that i i actually we were talking about this earlier and i pulled it up on my phone i found if i wanted to buy it i could i could go to ebay and buy a 1987-88 panini sticker number 358 of dave ellett for uh approximately it says approximately a dollar 58 how quickly uh, could they get it here i don't know but i remember collecting those and uh yeah this picture of a young day he kind of looks like superman in this picture i won't disagree with you yeah there, he was uh, Superman 28 years ago yesterday at the old Winnipeg Arena, I'll tell was you it that. yesterday? Yeah, it's oh, April, wow. April 10th, 1990. The goal that uh, really was the pinnacle of the existence of the Winnipeg Jets uh, 1.0. Of course, Team Mussolini, when he broke Mike Bossy's record, a lot of people will will argue that when he did, he shot his glove out of the air, that was maybe the most famous goal. It was one of the top four NHL moments when they did uh, when they did a, 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 a fan vote earlier this year. So, uh, in terms of individual moments, yes, uh, Timu's goal uh, against the Quebec Nordiques to break Mike Bossy's record is the individual moment. But uh, for a fan base, and in terms of the magnitude of the goal for the team, that goal back in 1990, the goal in the history of the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, and it's a deafening uh, sound of the crowd after that, and we have the audio. We'll play that for you at some point once again this morning here on 680 CJOB. You might get a bit of a shock at the gas pump. 
As of yesterday, many stations across the city were hiking their prices, selling gas for $1.19 a liter. Boo! I actually saw 120.9 at two different stations this morning, 24-hour stations. I know that's kind of a threshold amount. That's up from the $1.11.9 earlier in the week. Dan McTagg. Uh, his senior petroleum analyst with GasBuddy.com. He says wholesale prices have increased in both Western Canada and the United States Midwest. Prices have been pushed down as low as I saw $1.13, $1.14. That's pretty much what uh, gas price uh, gas stations are buying their fuel for, about $1.11 on a day like today. So, you know, when you see prices that low, it uh, many uh, gas stations are required to throw in the towel Restore the number to 118.9199, and they're likely to stay there for a little while this time. McTagg also says we could see gas prices rise to above $1.30 a liter. There may be days when, uh, you know, U.S. demand is very strong. Canadian demand is, uh, is, is it hasn't really backed off. And uh, any disruptions, again, south of the border, we've talked about this so many times. When a U.S. refiner in the U.S. Midwest has trouble, a big one like uh, uh, one of the Wood River uh, BP uh, uh, refineries goes down, you can expect that that's going to have an impact uh, for all of Western Canada, regardless of whether or not it's actually gas that's sold here into Canada. We price into the U.S. market. We also have to keep an eye on the Canadian dollar. It's it's improved in the past few days, uh, but certainly it's not anywhere where it uh, should be, given oil is at 65, potentially challenging $70 a barrel. Our Canadian dollar should be on par with the U.S. greenback. The fact that it isn't, is costing you and I about 14 cents a liter in lost purchasing power. Well, sometimes misery loves company, and sometimes it's good to do a comparison for for us to feel better about where we live. The Shell at 4110 Oak Street in Vancouver, 151.9. Wow. So it, it could be worse. Could be worse. There has been a ton of reaction to aggressive panhandling in Winnipeg after Global News published a story online yesterday about a panhandler allegedly smashing a windshield. Actually, we heard about this a couple of days ago. But one panhandler says they're not all the same. And this panhandler is speaking out about what life is like on the streets of Winnipeg. Here's Global News' is Joe Scarpelli. Some drivers might recognize A.J. Cook. Day after day for nine years, he says, walking up to windows, asking for money. I try not to scare anybody when I do this, you know. But it can be scary for many, especially when some panhandlers are aggressive. Cook claims they're not all like that. We might talk a lot of stuff, but it never gets physical. Cook says after dealing with a mental illness, he turned to drugs and alcohol. He says he's been clean for three years now, but still has no intention of getting off the streets of Winnipeg. Panhandling is his job. 30 bucks, 40 bucks a day for two hours. Most motorists ignore Cook for their own reasons. I do not give, but I choose to give to uh, some of the food banks instead. And uh, that way I know that it goes to for proper food. You know, I've got a family. I normally have two kids in the back. I usually don't open up my window in that case. Just before we parted ways with Cook. Thank you. Two drivers opened their windows. I got an apple and two bucks. It's embarrassing, but it's got to be done now. It's survival. Joe Scarpelli, Global News. Thank you very much, Joe. Mackling and McGarry on CJOB. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry. Behind the glass, Jerry. And in about a half an hour from now, Winnipeg Jet 1.0, Dave Ellett. 
who scored arguably the most important goal in Winnipeg Jets 1.0 history 28 years ago yesterday. The Jets so far tonight have not clicked on the power play. They're 0 for 7. Would you have called a penalty shot? Steen almost had a breakaway. Alec Benson goes score! I was about nine rows up. Right on the blue line. Oh, was there with my buddy Jared Petker, who we now share season tickets for Jets 2.0 together. And, um, well, as a side story, Jared actually lives in Calgary. This is how much he loves the Winnipeg Jets (laughs) and has vowed to ensure their viability in Winnipeg. For the 17 years that the Jets were not in Winnipeg, and Winnipeg was without a National Hockey League team, Jared always said, if the Jets, no matter where I live, if the Jets come back to Winnipeg, I'm buying season tickets. And for seven seasons, he's done exactly that in spite of maybe attending a dozen games over those seven years. So that's uh, my boy, my buddy Jared in Calgary, who continues to support the Jets from afar. And we were at that game together. We sat silent for for four plus periods in between you know, intermissions was the only time we spoke to each other. Really? You know, oh, yeah, because the <laughs> tension was thick. And, uh, and uh, you know, we, we didn't normally hug one another. Jared's not a big hugger. Uh, we hugged for a very, very long time, <laughs> jumping up and down after that goal. So looking forward to visiting with Dave Ellett on uh, what one of our texters is calling Mary Jetsmas. Yeah. There's a few of those dates that could go down as Jetsmas, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll go with that for today, too. Very exciting day indeed for hockey fans for the city of Winnipeg as well. U.S. lawmakers putting pressure on Mark Zuckerberg at a congressional hearing in Washington yesterday. The Facebook boss has apologized for allowing a British data mining firm to misuse the personal information gathered from the online profiles of nearly 90 million Americans. Now, as you just heard in the news with Jeff Braun, Senator Dick Durbin tried to impress upon Zuckerberg (laughs) the need for some private information to remain private. Here's an extended look at that clip. Would you be comfortable sharing with us the name of the hotel you stayed in last night? Um... (laughs) Uh, no. If you've messaged anybody this week, would you share with us the names of the people you've messaged? Uh, Senator, no, I would probably not choose to do that publicly here. I think that might be what this is all about. Your right to privacy, the limits of your right to privacy, and how much you give away in modern America in the name of, quote, connecting people around the world question basically of um, what information Facebook's collecting, who they're sending it to, and whether they ever asked me in advance my permission to do that. Is that a fair thing for a user of Facebook to expect? Yes, Senator. I think everyone should have control over how their information is used. And as we've talked about in in some of the other questions, I think that that is laid out in, in some of the documents, but more importantly, you want to give people control in the product itself. It was an outstanding question by Durbin in my mind, Brett. And I'm thinking maybe today they could ask Mark Zuckerberg to share a screenshot with the world on Facebook of what his privacy settings are at. That's That would be great. And then maybe those should be the model 
for all of us. Whatever, what's good enough for Zuckerberg is good enough for the rest of us. And maybe the horse has left the barn and it's too late to get back some of our privacy. But I know when I'm investing with someone and I'm trusting somebody uh, in particular with my RESP for my kid's education, I want to know where the individual who's who's telling me where I should put my money puts their money. Yep. And how Zuckerberg has his Facebook set up. I think we we should all know that. I think that's a great point. You know, I because those you can get pretty pretty deep dive with your privacy settings, with your security settings. I know uh, I remember a colleague here for example was she had gone in and individually went through each person on her friend list and was able to set what that person can see. Brilliant. And it's, uh, so there is a lot more at your fingertips that you might not be aware of. And I think maybe that's part of the problem is that it can be a little overwhelming at times to the point where you just kind of throw your hands up and say, ah, whatever. I think that, do you not think some of that's on purpose? Oh, yeah. Right? For sure. They want you to have that attitude. They want you to throw it wide open because it's way more convenient to do so. And uh, you know what? And fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me sort of thing. We know this, and we keep falling for it every single time. And uh, we have some culpability culpability here as well. But to think Zuckerberg, uh, good on him for appearing before Congress. Some of his answers were scripted. Uh, Interesting to note that he might have thought one of the things approached yesterday might be a suggestion for him to resign. Mm. He had notes on that as well, but it didn't come around. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting. Anne Kavukian is with uh, Ryerson University. She is the distinguished expert in residence for privacy and data analytics and the Privacy by Design Center of Excellence. She says the privacy scandal is a wake-up call. People are just truly outraged that 87 million Facebook users' information has gone into unknown third parties' hands. And I was just watching uh, Zuckerberg's testimony just in the last hour and a bit, and I think it was in response to Senator Markey, who said, do you agree that we need to have opt-in positive consent that users will have to opt-in to additional uses of their information? And even though Zuckerberg ducked it a little bit, he said, yes, I agree, certainly in principle. And Marky said, do you agree or not? And he said, yes, I agree. So, yay, I think we're going to see a change here. Michael Roy is Senior Director of Campaigns at Point Blank Creative, and he believes we could soon see more regulations pertaining to your personal information on the online world. What we're seeing unfolding today is, you know, simply closing the barn door after the horse has already left. Uh, we're solving, you know, we're, we're seeing legislators solve problems that have already happened, not the next round of problems. And, you know, just like the platform has evolved significantly over the years, so too, I think, will the, the arms race that leads to further regulation. My view is that, you know, th- this is a regulatory issue. Facebook had a chance to police its own actions. They failed at that. They, they were acting like a tech startup when they should have been acting like a big news enterprise. And uh, they, mm-hmm. they've failed to take responsibility, which means now it's time for, for government to step in. And here in Canada, that means privacy commissioners and provincial and federal legislators putting some rules in place because the average Canadian doesn't read all that fine print, nor should they. They want to make plans with their friends. Yeah. They want to share what their kids are up to. They, they don't want to have to read thousands of pages of legal text to figure out if their privacy is being violated. Facebook has failed to 
to uphold that trust, which means now it's time for other folks to step in and do that. I was talking to my buddy yesterday, my buddy John in BC, and uh, he says he's he thinks he's pretty much done. He's done with Facebook. Yeah, he's going to download his information. And then he says, you know what? If I got pictures I want to share with you, I'm just going to email you. I'm going to DM everybody, send them my current email address, and uh, let them know that in three days I'm out of there, and that'll be the end of it. Yeah, I don't really do uh, a whole lot on Facebook. Although I, I made a post yesterday for the first time in a long time uh, because I live in, uh, I guess it's the Fort Rouge riding, so I get the the canoes from Wab Canoe, Wab Canoes I, 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 newsletter. I don't get it, I don't get it. Yeah, and then that I oh ha I get it. It's cause it's like his name canoe, but it's canoes. So yeah, I posted a picture of the newsletter. Very creative, I, I it, Wob. Yeah, I suggested that uh, the premier's newsletter should be called Palace Stories, uh, in that same vein. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. What are you doing here? <laughs> I know, <laughs> wasting away in morning radio, Brett. I'm awesome. No, you're not, dude. Don't lie. I'm awesome. I'm driving. Sometimes when we have comedians on the program, there's a, I think we do it unintentionally. We try to match wits with these guys. Uh, we are in way over our head <laughs> on this next interview. So I think we're just going to try and hang out a little bit. Jerry D is coming back to Winnipeg this month as part of the second leg of his tour. He'll be at Burton Cummings Theater on April 28th. You know him, uh, Amongst other places, he's the star of the TV show, Mr. D, which just wrapped up its seventh season. And uh, Jerry, congratulations on news that Jerry D has been renewed for an eighth season, uh, but a little bit of sad news attached with that. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I announced that it would be our last season. So, But, you know, all good things come to an end, as they say, and it feels like I wanted to end this on our terms and uh, go out on a creative high. And uh, that's what we believe we're doing. Now, Jerry, uh, I, I want to thank you for all the, the laughs that you've brought uh, over the last decade or so. My introduction to you uh, came from Last Comic Standing on NBC. You were my favorite. I was sad. Uh, you, made, you made it to the top three. Good for you. I was sad when you didn't make it to the end. Uh, but I was shocked as I just went uh, revisited that season just moments ago and learned that you outlasted Amy Schumer. That's kind of a feather in your cap, is it not? Yeah, no, Amy's outlasted me now, though. That's for sure. She's, uh, you know, I keep in touch with John Reap. I don't uh, really connect with the others much anymore. Um, Amy's just in a different stratosphere now from all of us. But uh, John Reap, who won that year, I still keep in touch with him. Um, great guy. And uh, that was a blast. That was a, you know, that kind of, I think, was a good launching point for me. And, uh you know, once I got into the top five, I sure it would have been nice to win, but I knew that getting to the top five was was going to be um, was going to be you know helpful for me. Jerry, you seem to be always on tour. <laughs> Is that my imagination? How much do you like being out on the road? Oh, it's sheer imagination because I'm really only uh, really April May. I do most of my touring, so um, it feels like it a lot. Though you see so many dates on my website, and it looks like it's. You know, I, but I, I travel, I'll, you know, I've got a bit of a stretch out west. I'll do the, the Alberta, Manitoba stuff together. So it's, it's about a week and then, uh, and then I'm home for a bit. So it's spread out nicely and we're, we're writing the show. I have another show in development that I'm writing and um, yeah, I just try to stay busy. I mean, entertainment, you're, 
you're only as good as your last job, as they say. So you have to always constantly look for, you know, what's next. And I'm thankful I have stand-up because that's where it all started. So when you deliver your next stand-up performance here in Winnipeg on April 28th, uh, one of the things you're going to touch on is marriage. And I guess maybe can you just describe what your, what is it at, that Jerry D brings to the table when it comes to talking about marriage? Well, I think I just talk about it honestly. You know, my wife's got a good sense of humor, so I, I'm able to, you know, poke fun at her and at me and both of us. And I, I, I talk about how monogamy sucks. And um, I think a lot of people are afraid to say that, but it does. It sucks. Like, who who likes monogamy, right? Why do you but, think it sucks? You know, we, well, why do you think it sucks? <laughs> you know, you go your whole life dating and dating and dating, and then you're with one person for the rest of your life, and um, physically and stuff. So I don't know if that's fun for my wife either, to be honest. I'm not, <laughs> not too keen on it either. Okay. It is so, a double-edged you know, sword. We joke about... We joke about stuff like that and, you know, um, yeah, it's just stuff I talk about in marriage. A lot of it's exaggerated and um, she's a good sport. And stuff and jokes, she'd like to go up on stage after me once and, and talk about me. But I know that'll never happen, so I don't worry about it too much. A little bit of a rebuttal. I think you might have a, an excellent idea for uh, your next tour there, Jerry. And uh, Brett mentioned his first introduction to you. I fell in love with you, uh, in, metaphorically speaking, of course, uh, during your time on The Score as Jerry D. Sports reporter. Mm-hmm. And how much fun was that? That had to have been a blast trying to, to get under the skin of, of these professional athletes because you did a great job of it. It was fun. It was um it was, it was something that I got to go to all these great events. Uh, it wasn't always fun trying to get the athletes. Uh, you know, once they knew me, it was easier, but trying to get like the American athletes didn't know me. And some of them are just pretty serious and, uh, it wasn't always easy, but you, know, you get guys like Barkley and some of the good people like that. It certainly was, was a lot more fun. Well, I got about 90 seconds here, Jerry, but, uh, you also be talking about fatherhood during your show. How many kids do you have? Three. And how old are they? They're 10, 8, and 5. Oh, you so poor man. Uh, a busy, busy household. One wife, as I said. And, um, yeah, it's, no, it's great. I mean, I live vicariously through the kids now. I'm, I'm, I'm making them do sports. They hate it. But, you know, someone's got to make it as a professional athlete because I never did, and that's kind of my approach to it, and then I can go enjoy the life of a professional athlete as their dad. Sounds like a sound strategy, Jerry. Yeah, I got them in sports I like, you know, and sports they'll do when they're older, right? Some of my friends have their kids in gymnastics and swimming, and I I didn't put them in that. It didn't sound interesting to me, and they're not going to do that in their 20s, right? They're not going to go to the bar and then do some gymnastics with their friends after. They might play hockey after. So that's why I pick sports that there's a longevity to it. Life life lessons. Sounds like you're looking out for them as much as you're looking out for yourself. Jerry, uh, thanks for this, and we look forward to seeing you here in Winnipeg in just a couple weeks. Thank you so much. All right, Jerry D, a.k.a. Mr. D, renewed for an eighth and final season. The seventh season just wrapped up in December, and Jerry's going to be at the Burton Cummings Theatre on April 28th. I'm awesome. Merry Jetsmas indeed, as one of our listeners 
made the observation this morning. I'm Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. Very excited to introduce our next guest. Scored one of the most memorable goals in Jets history against the Edmonton Oilers. Dave Ellett joins us live on 680 CJOB. Welcome, Dave. Good to be here. So Greg has informed me that uh, he wants me to keep him in line and yep. not be too fanboy, but come on, man. You've been excited about this all morning. Listen, 28 years ago yesterday was, to that point, one of the best moments of my life outside of the personal stuff. I was there when Anders Hedberg and Ulf Nielsen won the last Avco Cup. It was on my ninth birthday up to that point, my best sports moment. Uh, Blue Bombers win the Grey Cup in 84, and then Dave Ellett scores in overtime to give the Jets a 3-1 series lead against the Edmonton Oilers. Are we going to play the clip? Play uh, the clip. Okay. Play the clip. <laughs> Hang on, it's coming. Here we go. The Jets so far tonight have not clicked on the power play. 0 for 7. Would you have called a penalty shot? Steen almost had a breakaway. Ellett lets it go score! And that roar went on for at least 10 minutes, Dave. Oh, easily. I tell people uh, back in the old arena, the star of the game had to do an interview with the uh, radio guys up above in one of the uh, smaller dressing rooms just outside ours. And I was under there with the headset on and they were asking questions and we had to end the interview. I could not, just couldn't hear what they were asking or saying. It was... uh, Pretty amazing. Yeah, it went on for for minutes and minutes. The announcers afterward, they let it go for 90 seconds before they even tried to come back on. But even then, you could tell that they were screaming at the top of their lungs, comparing it to uh, what was then known as uh, Chicago Stadium, uh, because that had the reputation of being the loudest building. But they said, this rivals anything we've ever experienced. Blew it away that night. Actually, I think some of our guys in the shower were in their cars before some of the fans stopped cheering. (laughs) (laughs) I can assure you that was the case. Uh, The cheering went on well into the night. And, of course, we know how that series ended up. And there were a couple of epic games. Uh, It was one of the best series of all time. But I I mentioned to you that quite possibly, uh, and I think you agree with me, the 84-85 Jets that ultimately fell to the Oilers in the second round of the playoffs was probably the best Jets team that you played on. Oh, yeah. I, I've, we we set a record that year, actually, that still stands to this day. Six players with 30 or more goals, which hasn't been broken. Thomas Team, Doug Smale, Paul McLean, Brian Mullen, Howard Chuck McLean. Did you say and Lori Boshman. And Lori Boshman. I did say McLean twice. And yeah. How Lori Boshman. Yeah. yeah, well done, Dave. Well done. Yeah, the, well, one of the reasons why you're here, of course, the reason why you're in Winnipeg is to help celebrate tonight. You've got, uh, you're going to be attending a party. Uh, you've teamed up with Budweiser. Where are you going to be tonight? Uh, we're going to be at the Pint. Uh, the doors open at 4 o'clock. Uh, uh, it's free. Mm-hmm. It's fun. So everyone come. Yeah. And, they, uh, and your friends have, have brought in something here. Now, we have, you got one of these too, Greg. Yeah. It's a, it's a Budweiser it's one of these goal lights that's hooked up when the Jets score. Yes. It goes off. Yes. Uh, we've been offered the opportunity to test it, but there is some superstition around this. We're okay, t- like I'm a fan, so I'm going to I'm gonna defer to the player because we know players are super superstitious. Uh, Dave, are you in the superstitious realm? Is that something that was part of you as a player? Did you do things a certain way on game day? Uh... Uh, yes. 
<laughs> is it superstitious to reveal what we'll you We'll just watch and look at that light right now. How's that? <laughs> All right. Very good. And We're hopefully about five minutes into the first period, we'll set it off All tonight. All right. There we go. I like how you're good. thinking. Good. Uh, what kind of things did you do uh, as, as far as super? Because we've heard stories of guys wearing the same socks through the whole playoff run. Did you have any, any particular ticks that you would sort of fall back on? Well, it was always kind of you timed when, or I did, a lot of guys were the same. You, you always taped your stick the same way, and you always timed when you started to get dressed, and, you know, you watched the clock, okay, now I can lace up my skates, and guys went out in a certain order for, you know, when you went out on the ice uh, for warm-up and for uh, the start of each period, so we certainly had, we won't call them uh, superstitions, we'll call them routines. Yeah. How was that? Well, routine's important in any sport, right? Uh, you know, for example, I uh, like to golf, and if I don't follow the same thing every time I hit a shot, it it throws it takes me right out of it, and then I make a mistake, and uh, that then those mistakes can compound, and that's just horsing around on a weekend. I can't not, not yeah. on a professional hockey rink, right? Yeah, to be quite honest with you, you sort of saw what other guys did. You didn't never really talked about. Oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. But you just sort of did your thing and no one interfered with everyone and you know if you lost maybe you switch something up okay you go first this time i'll go behind you and little things like that so were you were you on the team when you guys uh went to red helmets in toronto to try and uh, break a streak do you remember that no, at all? I wasn't there for that I'm one. I'm trying to remember. I think Chris King was a part of that okay. team, though. Uh, the Jets had gone on a little bit of a losing streak, and so they uh, they put on the red helmets in Toronto, where you ended up playing. You ended up getting traded to Toronto uh, from Winnipeg, Dave, and were part of uh, one of the most epic playoff series there as part of the, the Maple Leafs. And we, we know the history with the Maple Leafs and 1967 and, and people clamoring for a Stanley Cup in that market. How much much does the the history weigh on a team when they're when they're playing? Does it seep into the dressing room to the current players? Do they know that you know? Are the Jet players going to be talking about guys as a franchise? We've never won a playoff game. Does that creep into the conversation at all? Uh, no, not really. I think that's more of a outside. You know, the press and fans like to bring that up. Uh, you know, the players are especially once you get into a playoff series, they're really focused on what's going on. And, and that's sort of the stuff that you just put outside. But certainly there would be conversations that, hey, listen, this franchise is due to win something. You know, and that can be part of the motivation. I know it wasn't Toronto for us. You know, we didn't, we kept hearing about 67, 67. Wasn't really a factor. It was like, hey, listen, we're here. We got a good team. Let's Let's win. And I think that's probably the attitude that the Jets are going to have here, you know, starting tonight. Well, I grudgingly say he did have some great teams in Toronto. Dave Allen is here, former Winnipeg Jet, scored one of the most memorable goals in Jets NHL history. It was against the Edmonton Oilers in uh, which game was it? Twenty-eight years ago today. It was in Game Four. Put the Jets up three games to one. Twenty-eight years ago yesterday. Yesterday, pardon just me. Just steps uh, from here in the old Winnipeg Arena. Dave, uh, we had a texter. Uh, that knew you were coming on, and he sent us a special message. He wanted us to give you a huge thank you. Please thank Dave for all his work with big brothers and big sisters oh. during his time in Winnipeg. He did so much for us, uh, clearly a former uh, little brother. So, Dave, I wanted to pass that along. Uh, you, Andrew McBain, Dale Howard, Chuck, uh, you know, just a handful of the players that were so active in the community when you when you were here as the, with the Jets. Well, we loved it here. 
I was actually at an event in Calgary this past weekend with Tim Waters, and we were talking. I think at one time there was uh, 12 to 14 of us that actually lived here year-round, had homes here, stayed here the summer, and became a part of the community in the province. It was a great place to live and play. So the, the work that you did with Big Brothers, uh, how long did you do that for? Do you remember? Well, I did it. Uh, I started my rookie year, so this six and a half or seven years that I was here. And then when I actually got traded to Toronto, I I was put in contact with the people in Toronto, and I uh, st- started working for Big Brothers Little Sisters uh, of Ontario uh, in Toronto of Toronto and Ontario when I got traded there. So it was. Uh, I really enjoyed working with them. It's uh, something to see. Uh, you know, when you can see these young boys get matched up with someone and they become lifelong friends, really. And it must have been uh, big bragging rights for them too, right? To say, uh, hey, my big brother's Dave Ellett from the Winnipeg Jets. Must have been a shot in the yeah, arm for you. We did a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. I didn't actually have a little brother. Uh, I was basically the spokesman and, you know, spread the word on how great a charity it was and sort of, you know, try to bring more people into it. So it was just a lot of fun, like going to the events and seeing the relationships that the uh, big brothers and little brothers had and big sisters and little sisters because it was a combination of both. It was really, really amazing, actually. Uh, Dave, when you see how Kevin Cheveldayov and the Jets have built their team team here with that whole draft and develop uh, philosophy, it wasn't that much different than how Fergie built the Jets once upon a time with bits and pieces and and bringing in uh, guys that he thought could do certain jobs a, a certain way and and by evidence of uh, how many of you guys lived in the community, guys that that were really bought into being Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, you know what it. Uh... We had a really good core. Like when I first started here, it was actually looking back on it now, the talent that we had there, a lot of us talk about it when we're out at events. And, you know, still to this day, I say we were probably one of the most underrated franchises uh, going. When you look at a player like Dale Howarchuk, people in the East Coast, especially back in the day, you know, it's not like today where all the games are on TV and this and that. People didn't realize how good Dale was. Like, uh, just an amazing, probably the most underrated player in NHL history, in my opinion. I still remember him uh, being coming through uh, Captain Clutch in the Canada Cup. Absolutely. In uh, 88, I guess that was, he was on the ice with Mario and uh, Murphy and, and of course, uh, Wayne Gretzky. Uh, some great moments. Dave, just thank you genuinely for your time in the city, being still an ambassador for Winnipeg and the Jets, and thanks for one of the greatest memories uh, of all time in sports history in our city. It's, uh, it's great to finally meet you. Well, the boys are going to create some new memories. Well, you can uh, join Dave tonight at the Pint on Gary. He's teamed up with Budweiser for a whiteout party, and they've got these fancy uh, whiteout goal lights, so when the Jets score, the light goes off. I'm not going to test it. Uh, that's uh, told it's superstitious. Dave Ellett said, no, we're not going to do it in studio, but you can win one of these at the Pint. They're going to give one away every time the Jets score throughout the postseason. There's only a hundred of them. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, uh, a texter who was telling us about the Big Brother says, Dave was an honorary Big Brother. Don't don't let him say he wasn't one. <laughs> What's his name? Did he put his name? No, we don't know this person's uh, name, so we'll have to get that uh, off the air. But hey, Dave, thanks for coming in to visit. Hey, a real pleasure. Thank to you, you for having me. Today is World Parkinson's Day, so we are trying to shed some light on this disease that you may or may have never heard of. 
and those affected by it, one of the members of the Chorus Radio family, Larry Gifford, who's Senior Program Director at CKNW in Vancouver. He's also worked with us here at CJOB behind the scenes was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Now, today on the shift with Drex, which runs overnight on 680 CJOB, Monday to Friday, as well as across uh, various chorus stations across Canada, today on the shift with Drex, Nikki Reitmeyer, who is a colleague of Larry's at CKNW in Vancouver, put together a documentary on this very subject, on his new journey with Parkinson's. Here's a clip of that documentary. After the initial meeting with a neurologist. I said, I got good news and I got some bad news. I said, I don't have MS. And she goes, well, that's a relief. I said, but they think I have Parkinson's. And and we were both like, oh, we didn't know what it meant. I didn't know that Parkinson's wasn't a killer disease. It's just this relentless deterioration of your brain. We cried and it's not the end of the world, but it's the end of the world as we knew it. Jeff Courier will air that entire documentary later this morning at 10.30 right here on 680 CJOB. Now we want to tell you about a program that is helping those with Parkinson's stay active. The Rady Jewish Community Centre offers a Parkinson exercise program on Wednesday afternoons. Mark Spencer is the fitness director at Rady JCC. He's here to give us the details. Mr. Spencer, good morning to you, sir. Good morning to you. We appreciate your time today, Mark, and uh, maybe tell us a, a little bit about why you started this program before you tell us about the program itself. Sure thing. Uh, for many years, uh, the Radio JCC has been pro- providing all uh, types of uh, programs and services to uh, uh, the community uh, in in order to help them live uh, a healthy and, and uh, fulfilling life. And as part of that uh, programming, we have historically had uh, a number of uh, chronic disease programs, uh, such as cancer management, MS, arthritis. Uh, we also have mobility classes, yoga classes for people with uh, mobility issues. And uh, um, Parkinson's was a, 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 obviously a, a concern in, in not just our community, but uh, around the world. And uh, felt this was a good fit for uh, what we do here at the Radio JCC. So we introduced this program uh, a couple of years ago to uh, a really great response. Now, do you, the, the program, do you work with people who are at different sort of stages of Parkinson's? Absolutely. Uh, we have people, uh, uh, in, in fact, uh, calling almost weekly um, asking, you know, is this appropriate for me? Um, uh, people come with uh, different degrees of severity, uh, different ages. Uh, some people you would, uh, at first glance, not know that they have Parkinson's. Others, uh, it would be quite uh, quite obvious. Um, but uh, the unique thing, or one of the unique things about our program is that we're able to tailor the activities for the individual's ability. Mark Spencer, fitness director at the Radio JCC, joins us now. We're talking about an exercise program offered Wednesday afternoons for those suffering with Parkinson's. And Mark, for those that don't understand or don't really know how Parkinson's affects the body, how it affects the mind and and maybe then the body, maybe you can share with us what you know about it. Uh, Sure. Um, Parkinson's is a uh, a disease that slowly... um, uh, degenerates the uh, nervous system. So a, a lot of uh, 
outwardly, uh, uh, symptoms are going to look like uh, people have tremors or um, uh, speech impediments. Um, they'll have uh, some balance issues, uh, mobility issues. Um, some of the more unseen uh, uh, symptoms of the, uh, of the of the disease can be uh, difficulty swallowing, um, incontinence. Uh, uh, there's um, uh, bowel issues, uh, sexual dysfunction. So there's a it, it attacks outwardly and inwardly um, individuals uh, with this uh, disease. I see. Also, last year in October, uh, Rady JCC uh, was involved in uh, the Parkinson Canada conference uh, at the Asper Jewish Community Campus. Why is this particular uh, issue so important to Rady JCC? Well, the the uh, uh, condition that the people go through. Um, uh, and I think it, the uh, the intro that you had into the segment uh, uh, touched on it is that uh, it changes people's lives. Um, it may not be the end of it, um, as uh, uh, as the individual uh, uh, mentioned, but it, it, it impacts um, their their life, their lifestyle, um, and, and how they view things, how they interact with others, their relationships with others, um, and so if there's something that we can do to um, help decrease the the effects um, or slow down the, the the progress of the disease. Um, obviously, this is something that we want to uh, help people do to enjoy um, uh, uh, and the, the, their uh, their life and uh, provide a uh, a better quality, um, regardless of what their age is or what stage in life they are in. Mark, this has got to be incredibly rewarding for you. Um, it, it's hard to say um, in words what what you experience uh, just as an outside um, observer of this program. There's uh, some incredible stories. Uh, there's one individual in particular that um, that that I recall the first time we ran this program, and uh, how how much joy and relief was in this individual's. Uh, face after uh, a couple of sessions and the impact that this program had when they would come into the the program he would be uh, the, the tremors would be quite severe um, he would shuffle along um, he would uh, have difficulty speaking by the the end of the session he would be he would be beaming as he would have a huge smile on his face um, he's able to uh, move better. Um, you know, a lot of the symptoms are alleviated, and just even if it's just uh, briefly, um, not having to to deal with the the severity of the symptoms that he normally deals with was such a huge relief to him. To him, um, and we see this with a lot of our our participants, and uh, it's extremely gratifying to see. So, is this a weekly program throughout the entire year, or is it does it only have seasons? Yeah, we usually run in, uh, in eight to ten week uh, sessions throughout the year. Our uh, spring program is going to be starting up on uh, April 18th and running through to June 13th, and then we'll have a summer one starting in July through to the end of August. How does one register or, or get involved? Uh, they can uh, go on our website at uh, www.radyjcc.com uh, or give us a call at uh, 204-477-7510. All right, Mark Spencer, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Fitness Director at Rady JCC. Have a good day, sir. Thanks.
Thanks for what you do, Mark. We appreciate it very much, and we appreciate your time this morning. And again, the Parkinson Exercise Program uh, happens uh, Wednesdays starting next week, uh, 2.10 to 3.10 uh, p.m., and you can get more information on that program, again, at RadyJCC.com. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shanley Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. CJOB.